From 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have always said in the church that our faith has been based upon facts. Upon historical facts. Well, something has come to light recently. that now has been published and will no doubt be in magazines and newspapers. Therefore, I felt it best if I give you this disclosure from me. Let me read the announcement. Archaeologists have made a startling and remarkable discovery. They have found recently in a newly unearthed tomb in the suburbs of Jerusalem the remains of an ancient man who quite evidently died of crucifixion. On the walls of that tomb, they found also a plaque written in ancient Hebrew, which translated reads, Here lies Jesus of Nazareth. He was a great and good teacher. We hid his body in order to place him beyond the reach and the rage of his enemies. He was the best of men. May he rest in peace. Now that simply describes a scene of that recently published novel. It was a novel in England. It is, I am happy to say, pure fiction. Because in this published novel, entitled When It Was Dark, the author describes a situation in which a wealthy, wealthy atheist, a skeptic, an unbeliever, he decides to destroy Christianity. So he hires a corrupted archaeologist to create his fraudulent find in Israel, contriving the discovery, supposedly, of the remains of Jesus. This novel is pure fiction. It's imaginary. However, I hope that it has had some impact. The result in this novel, they were catastrophic, according to the novel. It seems as if a new ice age had descended upon the earth. Spirits fly. Hope went out like a candle in the wind. Joy disappeared. Men began to seek pleasure only. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Yet Christianity was all a lie. Thousands of missionaries returned from their native lands. The lights in all the churches go out. The doors were locked for good. In this novel, the law of Sinai was exchanged for the law of the jungle. The hand of every man is raised against his neighbor. Soon nation rises against nation, all because a few bones were discovered in a tomb in Jerusalem. With that discovery in that novel, hope had died. So there are three messages from the empty tomb that I would like to share with you. The first message, which comes from the empty tomb, indeed the tomb was empty, is a message of hope. There is an everlasting hope. There is a certain hope of life eternal in Jesus Christ. See, for many centuries, men and women in Europe, they had looked out upon the western sea from Spain, what we call today the Atlantic Ocean. They wondered if there was anything beyond. Scholars of their day said that you could sail off the edge of the world and there was nothing there at all. In fact, inscribed on the surface of the coat of arms of the nation of Spain was his first national model, Ne plus ultra, 
which means exactly what they thought about the Western Sea. In your notes, no more beyond. Then one day Columbus was sailing off the Western sunset. People waited expectantly. Finally, after a long period of time, the sails reappeared. The crowds were exalted. They shouted with joy. And Columbus announced that there was a land beyond the sea, a land that was rich beyond anyone's dreams. It was a glorious paradise. The king of Spain then changed the motto for Spain. Its second national motto reads this way, plus ultra, meaning in your notes, there is more beyond. There was more beyond. Now for centuries, people have stood at a dark hole, which we call a grave. They watched the remains of their loved ones being lowered into the earth. And they also wondered, in your notes, is there anything beyond? Is there anything beyond the wa dead waters, dark waters of death? Then there was one young explorer. He went sailing into the sunset of death. He descended into the blackest of the pit. He sailed off the edge of the world and crashed into the depths of hell itself. People waited expectantly. Finally, on the third day, resurrection morning, he, the sun arose in the east. The Son of God, he stepped forth from the grave. And he declared, in your notes, there is something beyond. There is a paradise beyond your greatest expectation. There is a heavenly Father who waits for your outstretched arms to wipe away every tear from your cheek. Yes, there is something beyond the black hole of the earth. The greatest historical evidence for any historical fact is then that an institution would be built upon that fact. Any historian will tell you that the church of Jesus Christ, it began in the year 30 AD in Jerusalem when the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, they began to proclaim what? They began to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead. The church was built on the fact there was an empty tomb. The greatest institution the world has ever seen. The largest institution that has ever existed on this planet. It was built on a hole in the ground with nothing in it. The church's message from Jesus, an empty tomb. In your notes, he is not here. Now you may go to the tomb of Muhammad and you are told here lies the bones of this great prophet. You may go to the tomb of Napoleon, and they will tell you here lies the bones of the emperor of France. You may go to Moscow and see the tomb of Lenin, and they will say here lies the bones of the great founder of Soviet communism. But you may go to the tomb of Jesus, and they will tell you, and you may walk in and see for yourself, here lies the bones of no one. He's not here. He's risen, as he said he would. So number one, the message from the empty tomb is a message of hope. The second message from the empty tomb, in your notes, a message of love. We should never forget, though the tomb was empty, it was still a tomb. And that was empty. Speak of a message of love. I share with you the unforgettable love story. A love story of John Griffith. John Griffith grew up with one dream on his heart. He dreamed to travel faraway places. So one day during the Great Depression, 
He packed his family's meager belongings in their old car. He and his wife and tiny baby boy drove west to find greater pastures. He thought that he might have discovered just that at the site of the edge of the Mississippi River, where he got a job caring for one of those great railroad bridges that crossed this mighty river. Dennis Hensley tells us this is a true story that took place in the year 1937, when John Griffith brought his eight-year-old boy, Greg, to work with him one day, just to see what Daddy did there. The little boy was wide-eyed with excitement. He clapped his hands with glee as the huge bridge went up at the call of his mighty father. He watched with wonderment as the enormous boat steamed down the Mississippi. Twelve o'clock came and his father raised the bridge as there were no trains coming for a good while. The father and his son walked out a couple hundred feet on a catwalk. They sat down and they began to eat their brown bag lunch. The father talked about the many different ships. The boy was entranced. Time whirled by and suddenly they were drawn back to reality by the shrieking of a distant train whistle. John Griffith looked at his watch. He saw that it was time for the 107 Memphis Express with 400 passengers to come rushing across the river. He told his son to stay there where he was and so without panic, he leaped to his feet and he ran back and climbed up the ladder to the control room. He went in. He put his hand on the huge lever that controlled the bridge. As was his custom, he looked up and down the river to see if any boats were coming. They looked down to see if there was any boats beneath the bridge. And suddenly, he saw a sight of it froze his blood. His little boy, Greg, had tried to follow him and had fallen into the huge gearbox that housed the monstrous gears that operate the great bridge. He knew that if he pushed that lever, his son would be ground in the midst of eight tons of whirling and grinding steel. His eyes were filled with tears of panic. What could he do? There was no time to reach the boy and make it back to the controls. There were 400 passengers on that train, and suddenly he heard the whistle again, this time startlingly close. He could hear the rapid puffing of the train. What could he do? There were 400 people, but this was his son. He was, it was his only son. He was a father. He knew what he had to do. He buried his head in, the, in arms. He threw the master switch, and the great bridge slowly lowered into place. Just as the express train roared across, he lifted up his tear-smeared face. He looked straight into the windows of this express train as the cars began to flash by. One after another, he saw men reading their newspaper on that train. He saw a conductor in uniform looking at his large vest pocket watch. He saw ladies sipping their tea, little children pushing long spoons into their plates of ice cream. And nobody, nobody looked at the control room. Nobody looked at his tears. Nobody looked at the gearbox. In agony, the father beat against the window of the control room. And he shouted, what's wrong with you people? Don't you care? I gave my son. 
I sacrificed my son for you. Don't you care? But nobody looked. Nobody heard. The train disappeared across the bridge. God, our Heavenly Father, asked his son, Jesus, to enter into the gears of justice, bearing upon himself all of the sin of the world. In those great gears of God's justice, Jesus gave up his life for us. The remains were placed in a tomb outside of Jerusalem, a tomb which had, has a message of unspeakable love for each of us. And you know, 50% of all worshipers at Easter services one weekend will be absent the next weekend. Yeah, they'll be reading their newspaper. They'll be catching up on time. They'll be working on their plates of ice cream. But don't you care? Don't you really care? 50% will disappear across the bridge. So from the empty tomb, number one, there's a message of hope. Number two, there's a message of love. And number three, in your notes, there's a message of grace. A message of amazing grace, of astonishing and astounding grace that the creator God of the universe would come and die for the sins of the creature. How tragic it would be that on Easter, even while we're really thinking about great death and the resurrection of Jesus, we personally fail to grasp the meaning of that grace for us. Jesus did all of that for us. Jesus endured it all for our place that we might have the gift of eternal life. It was free. Paul says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was paid for by Jesus Christ our Lord. It was purchased by Jesus Christ our Lord. It was paid in full and offered freely to us, to those who will receive Jesus as Lord and their Savior. We truly are fully aware of his suffering and atoning work on the cross. So the Bible says, therefore, if any wasn't in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You will never know life until you re really know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today, May we come into that, may he come into our hearts as our Savior and our Lord. Today, may you roll away the stone of your heart, the heavy stone of sin and selfishness, and ask Jesus, who came out of the empty tomb, to come into your empty heart and fill it with his hope of joy, love, and grace. Your Lord Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So John 14, verse 19. Because I live, Jesus says, you will live also. Open your hearts. Let him in. Amen.